0: I see a lot of happy campers <laughs> from our church camp last week, and I, I think we really needed that time together, especially after being kept apart for um, from the last couple of years from COVID. So um, yeah, it was special because we've been unable to gather as a church community. And for those of you who couldn't make it, Um, and those of you at home that I'm talking to, too, I'm quite sure there will be another opportunity. And I'm not even a camper, and I'm saying that. so. So Camp Wellspring came at the right time, as we've been in our sermon series on the Book of Galatians, where we see a community, only in Galatians, they are a community that is not in unity with each other. Being a community in community, is tough. You kind of have to get along enough to live amongst each other, and the people of Galatia were not. Theirs was a community of exclusion and legalism and paganism, and you enter now with the Apostle Paul on a mission from God to set them straight. As we move through our sermon series, there's been a little bit of incongruity in between our sermons. Um, we had a guest speaker, we had Keith Hamilton come, and then last week we had our church camp. So I want to refresh your memory a little bit, um, which I totally needed to do in preparation for today anyway. So we're walking through the Apostle Paul's letter to the Galatians, where we find a frustrated and impassioned Paul who is determined to set the people straight about what? Well, this is a debate between Gentile Christians who are uncircumcised and Jewish Christians who are circumcised and whether or not the uncircumcised are included as God's people. I'm really giving you like a summary here. So while the Jewish Christians have and continue to follow the laws of the Torah, which mandate circumcision and other Jewish laws, Paul's argument is that The cross of Christ and the gift of the Spirit mean that the Jewish laws are no longer needed for salvation and belonging in the family of God. Now, over the last several weeks, our preaching team has helped us to understand that we all belong to a new family of God based not on our works, but on our faith in Christ. And yet, Paul has to continue convincing the people that the family of God is inclusive, open to all who know and love God. And we get that blessing and gift freely when we acknowledge that Jesus, the Son of God, died on the cross so that we may be reconciled to God and become new creations in Christ. As part of the family of God, we can experience a new world and a new way as new creations. So where do we leave off after Pastor Dan's sermon? He preached that we become a new kind of family, where all believers belong at the same table regardless of differences, where the circle of unity becomes ever wider, and we get to be part of the story Of God's renewal. I'd like to say that he wrapped things up so that I could tie a nice bow around it and present it to you saying we're done. But there's three more chapters to get through and Paul still has some things to say and that's where we begin today where our two scripture passages come from Galatians 4 and 5. This is a book that is complicated, and it feels long-winded. And if you heard David Buchanan preach um, his sermon a few weeks ago, I was relieved to hear him say, and he referenced from the Bible, that Paul is not an easy guy to understand. He says a lot, even too much for me to sift through at times. But as he explains the premise for salvation through faith and grace, Jesus and the Spirit, he is defending the cause and the case for freedom in Christ, which is our focus today. Let's take a look at our scripture passages for today from Galatians 4, verses 7 through 9, and chapter 5, verses 13 through 15, and I am reading from the NIRV version. So if you can follow along with me either um, on our PowerPoint screen or if you have the notes in front of you. So, Galatians 4, 7 through 9. So you aren't a slave any longer. You are God's child because you are his child. God gives you the rights of those who are his children. At one time, you didn't know God. You were slaves to gods that are really not gods at all. But now you know God. Even better, God knows you. So, why are you turning back to those weak and worthless powers? Do you want to be slaves to them all over again? Second scripture passage for today comes from Galatians 5, verses 13 through 15. My brothers and sisters, you were chosen to be free, but don't use your freedom as an excuse to live under the power of sin. Instead, serve one another in love. The whole law is fulfilled. By obeying this one command, love your neighbor as you love yourself. If you do or say things that harm one another, watch out. You could end up destroying one another. This is the word of the Lord thanks be to God. So, looking at our first scripture passage, why the reference to being a slave? What changed to make us a child of God? Paul is testifying that Jesus' death and resurrection made the world a fundamentally new place. And by the blood of Jesus, we are already a new creation in this fundamentally new place that we'll call the kingdom of God. But it will not be fully realized until Christ returns. It's us sitting in the already but not yet stage So while we are reconciled in our relationship with God through Jesus' death, the hope is that we are continually on a journey of transformation until the day comes. And this transformation is really a gift, even though it takes a lot of work. As believers, we are given freedom to be in Christ as we go through this process with Christ of becoming more like Christ in mind and body and spirit. When making reference to being a slave, Paul is asking the people of Galatia to remember where they came from, not really knowing God, following a set of rules that bred discrimination and division, one that was about rituals and not relationships, especially with God. But Jesus incarnate changed all that. The world got to know a person in the flesh, human but also divine, whom when he left us, he would release his spirit to continue working in the hearts and lives of people to do the inviting and the building and the transforming, moving us closer to God's kingdom. The way the Jewish people had been living out their faith was very legalistic and ritualistic. Paul's reference to being a slave is in reference to the former ways before Jesus came and the Torah that was Israelite's handbook on how to show devotion and obedience to God. But Jesus and the Holy Spirit changed all of that, offering all of humanity a place of belonging as a child of God with inheritance rights to his kingdom and personal relationship in his knowing you, because you now know him. This is Paul's plea not to be deceived into going back to old ways and laws. But change is hard, isn't it? This would require deconstruction of their mindset and their beliefs. When Abraham asked God who his heirs would be, God promised him generations of heirs. And now that Jesus had come to save the world, everything changed. Suddenly, all Jews, Gentiles, multi-races and ethnicities could become heirs. Paul is proclaiming the updated version of Exodus. He looks directly at the people, saying, You are no longer slaves, but a child of God. And God loves you so much that he wants to free you to be the person that he made you to be. This new and abundant life comes from freedom in Christ that Paul is paradoxically contrasting with slavery. So you ready for sermon point one? Okay. Freedom to be in Christ requires, number one, my identity and belonging be anchored in Christ That my identity and my belonging be anchored in Christ. Kelsey, you aren't a slave any longer. Julie, you are God's child. Daisy, you aren't a slave any longer. Keith, you are God's child. Because you are his child, God gives you inheritance rights to his kingdom something special and significant that only God can instantly make happen when you proclaim him as your Lord and Savior. All of us have earthly parents, but rights of inheritance are not guaranteed. While it doesn't happen often, a child can be written out of their parents' inheritance. Not so with God once you belong to his family. Our society's own inheritance protocol are very legalistic. You need to be legally adopted to automatically inherit from an adoptive parent. Stepchildren, unmarried couples, Hanai kids, pets. Out of luck, unless you put it in writing. Not so with God. You instantly become a part of his family by being written into God's heart. So speaking of family, um, I was gone for um, a week, a few weeks ago, and Nathan and I, we're a blended family, and he has two daughters of his own, and I have my two grown children, a boy and a girl, and an adopted dog named Sparky. And two weeks ago, Nathan and I returned from a vacation to Washington State, mostly to see my kids, but also taking Sparky on his very first trip on the airplane. He looks so happy, doesn't he? I'll put in a plug for Alaska Airlines, they were great. <laughs> it was an adventure, and Sparky did really well. Not a peep or a bark on the plane ride. You wouldn't have even known he was there. Our main goal was to allow time for the kids to be with Sparky, because they hadn't seen him for a while. And here are some photos of Sparky reunited with my son Rylan and his girlfriend. When we got to Seattle, um, we met up with them. Sparky was delighted. Um, This is a friend of mine um, that in my cohort for seminary and Sparky always shows up on the Zoom screen and so she got to meet him too. We drove on a five hour road trip to Walla Walla to see my daughter Jensen. Sparky slept most of the way as you can see. (laughs) And it was parents weekend for college, and Sparky loved the expanse of grass and playing ball and the long naps as we drove and just making and meeting new friends. (laughs) It was a great trip. And of course, I always love seeing my kids. And now that they are grown adults and time passes between our visits, I have to say I do see noticeable changes in growth in their independence and in their maturing. So my son Ryland graduated in uh, June and from Seattle U, and he's now in the process of applying to law school. Something that I will admit I was a little skeptical about when he told me his plans. Um, yeah, go figure. I think it's because law school was traumatizing for me. <laughs> it was the longest three years, mainly because I was there to live out, I think, my dad's expectations and dreams for my life. And also because I knew I didn't really fit into that. I wasn't really anchored in the law school community. I felt different, and I think I was different. I didn't fit the stereotypical law school student image. Really intense, really smart, overconfident, highly motivated, and okay, and that's, that's not me now. I'm talking about the other... <laughs> the stereotype. And because I was on the mainland, there were people of multi-ethnic, multicultural, and mostly anti or non-religious people. I struggled in large part because I was basing my identity in being an awesome law student, which I wasn't even awesome, but a law student who belonged in this exclusive community. It would be that way for years, even after law school. I mistakenly thought my identity was based on my titles and my role in life. Attorney, wife, mom, daughter. And the belonging was always an awkward fit. In law school, I spent a lot of time studying and struggling and struggling and struggling. I was alone a lot, perhaps because I was so different. Even the mainland Asians seemed like they belonged. And worse yet, when I was up there, I tried to find a church, but I made all kinds of excuses about needing to study or the drive being too far to go regularly. And the main reason, I think, was really because nobody went to church. At least not in law school. Or at least nobody admitted it. Choices I made resulted in experiences I often regretted. I ended up in my third year needing to take medication, to sleep at night, just to get through that last stretch in my third year. And really, by the grace of God, that still small voice of his kept me from quitting school and fear of failure and disappointing, disappointing my father. Esteemed Catholic priest, teacher, author, activist, and honorary psychologist of the soul, Henry Nouwen said, the greatest trap in our life is not success, popularity, or power, but self-rejection. The greatest trap in our life is not success, popularity, or power, but self-rejection. Once I learned to live into who and how God created me to be, Once I could acknowledge my identity was not based on my occupation or role and that God really could and did love and value me for me, so much began to change. Once I learned to be okay with myself and to be able to love myself, I found freedom to be in Christ. Freedom in Christ lifts the pressure to conform and invites you to transform. I'm going to say that again. Freedom in Christ lifts the pressure to conform and invites you to transform. Do you ever feel like you can't be you, the true you? Perhaps because you are different from others or you don't qualify by their standards? Identity and belonging in Christ are at the heart of being free to live in the fullness of God and all that he has to offer. For some like myself, it was this long process of believing it. But God will wait for you. And when you believe this and take this to heart, you begin to fully live into God's kingdom here on earth. Full of joys, also still full of hardships but never alone again. Does it mean life gets easier? Not necessarily. As long as there are temptations to lure us into captivity, like money and status and work, power and idleness, even more so, our identity in Christ has to be strong enough to withstand the temptation. In Paul's day, it was being held to requirements of the Torah and circumcision what is it for you? What holds you captive? And here's where we jump to chapter five. Paul is addressing the legalism and the way of thinking that you earn your way into heaven through good works, which also includes the circumcision part, and also addressing factionalism. There is social, cultural, and political pressure in Galatia influenced by the Roman government And Paul sees the threat of division and he emphasizes unity by reminding them that the underlying current must always be a mutual obligation of love towards one another. While Paul emphasizes that circumcision isn't necessary anymore, keeping God's commandments most importantly to love is. The fact that Paul has to mention not to harm each other That means physical, emotional abuse and violence were actually happening then. People were harming one another. Hear this, though. God chose you to be free. And yet, freedom in Christ, it does come with responsibilities that are not meant to hinder or to limit us, but to help to transform us on our sanctification journey. As believers. As we live in our lives, freedom to be in Christ requires, number two, on your sermon notes, that my life choices and life experiences be shaped with Christ. My life changes, oh, sorry, should be, I wrote it wrong, didn't I? Well, it says life changes, and it should say life choices, <laughs> sorry, and life experiences be shaped with Christ. Thanks, Karen. It is God who gives us this freedom. How can we not remember him and invite him to share our life decisions and experiences if we are going to be open to transformation work that he wants to do in our lives to help us to become better people? I've made some very bad, very poor choices in life. And for each of those, I can say I did not invite... Holy Spirit's direction into the picture. Paul knows from personal experience how human nature works when he warned the people of Galatia not to use their freedom as an excuse to live under the power of sin. Sometimes our life choices don't necessarily turn out in a way that we'd hoped, but with Christ in the decision-making process, there's always a meaningful lesson a blessing that comes from the decision experienced. If you asked me years ago if I thought I would still be practicing law some 30 years later, granted with a few breaks in between, I would not have seen it. I would have actually seen myself as pretty bitter. If I didn't go to God to help me decide, do I open my own practice? This is 14 years ago. And why? I probably wouldn't have made it because I would have been doing it for my earthly father who wanted me to be rich financially instead of my heavenly father who wanted me to be rich in love of Christ. The freedom to make choices with the Holy Spirit's direction made a difference and it shifted a lot of my perspective. I reflect back on the decision to open my practice and it was during the recession 2008 What the heck? What was I doing? But I already knew that God had intended for it to be a practice with a missional work mindset, helping those who needed it when the situation arose. And it's been 14 years. And although my body and my brain get tired faster, there's been a richness of life experiences, relationships that I've built with some of these clients families that I've ended up counseling not just about their estate, but for some having some really deep conversations about the pain from strained and broken relationships with their children, their siblings, their parents. God has shaped my law practice into truly a fulfilling ministry. And I know he's doing that in your work too, when I hear stories um, about your vocation that God's called you to. He can do that when we invite him into the process of shaping our life choices and experiences. Paul, right, he was a great example. He underwent major transformation as Saul, a Pharisee, and a persecutor of Christians. He became, Paul, an apostle, a defender, a crusader for Christ. And it was because God was so present and influential in Paul's life that he would be able to endure Serving tirelessly, traveling from place to place in vast regions, spreading the good news, enduring imprisonment, torture from the early church. Chains and jail cells could not prevent Paul's freedom in Christ. Doing that which Christ called him to and also living into who Christ called him to be that's freedom just my opinion, but regardless of how hard the work might be, when you and I are doing something that Jesus calls us to do, and we're being open to his shaping us and transforming us in the process to be more of our genuine self, it is freeing and it is empowering at the same time. Last point, freedom to be in Christ requires number three, My responses and my reach be loving like Christ. My responses and my reach be loving like Christ. When there's certainty of belonging to a family that doesn't play favorites or judge or isn't a competition, but instead we are all loved equally and accepted where we're at in life, it really lowers the fear and the insecurity factor. It eliminates the barrier to being present to God and one another. It creates space to help shape our growth and maturity. Only then are we able to look at each other and see beauty inside and out. So another quote from Henry Nowlin: Community is the place where the person you least want to live with always lives. That person is always in your community somewhere. In the eyes of others, you might be that person. Oh, that's pretty sobering, huh? Ouch. Have you ever judged or been judged on the basis of your race or your ethnicity or the complexity of your physical and psychological challenges or for the culture and the traditions practiced or for just diversity in your personality or uniqueness of your sexual orientation? Unfortunately, that's our history and especially in the church with the big C In my seminary classes, I am consistently being challenged to awareness of the diversity of history, voices, faces, cultures, beliefs, and experiences through this curriculum that is set up for us, but mostly in my cohort community. I grew up here in Hawaii somewhat sheltered, oblivious, to the injustices experienced by brothers and sisters of color that were watered down in my history textbooks. Disability and LGBTQIA were not talked about. I am learning so much in in the light of God's truth, of more awareness, righting wrongs, and learning to be better together as a community. What does that look like? to be better together as a community? Well, certainly not to let legalisms and differences that Paul was trying to address be a barrier to learning how to live together. What would it look like to be people of a beloved community where the person we least want to live with always lives? Who would that be in your life? My mind fights back with that sounds like a lot of work. But Jesus' voice and example say, everyone is worth the effort because you are worth the effort. Both Henry Nowen and Martin Luther King Jr. talked about this beloved community that comes from Matthew 3, verses 16 through 17, when Jesus was baptized. And as he came up out of the water, the Spirit of God descended on him like a dove, and a voice from heaven said... This is my son, the beloved, with whom I am well pleased. Martin Luther King Jr. talks about the beloved community being a prescription for a society that is based on the pillars of social justice. Opportunity for all without regard to race, religion, etc. And of course, love for one another, whom we are seeing as different from us. Discrimination and prejudice are illegal. Inclusive love of self and others is the mission. No one urges us to resist self-rejection because God does, not want to, God does not create junk. He didn't create junk when he made you. Many of us have read and been fed by Henry Nouwen's books. right? He exemplifies a great example of someone who is able to live with a sense of freedom in Christ to respond and to reach others like Jesus. And yet, because he was gay and aware that not everyone could accept him and his powerful teaching, he held that in a closed circle, a smaller, beloved community. He was gay and he loved God, living his best self to honor him and still reach for the forgotten and the unloved with Christ's love. One of the things I've come to appreciate about our denomination, the Evangelical Covenant Church, is a very rich heritage that is committed to freedom in Christ, to practice what we call faithful dissent for that which we don't agree upon and for those who have been harmed without it. What is faithful dissent? One of my former seminary professors, um, or she taught a theology class, actually, before seminary. Dr. Michelle Clifton Soderstrom said, faithful dissent is a habit that helps the church grow in new ways, return to the word, and listen to the marginalized voices. Discernment and dialogue are an integral part of the process. Helps the church grow in new ways, returns to the word, and listens to the marginalized voices. It is no secret that the church has been complicit, if not historically a party to racial injustice against persons of color, especially those who are black. I'm sure you aren't surprised that injustices against equality of race and gender have caused many to be hurt and even turned away from God. As I put this out for all of us to consider, let me just clarify that I said that wrong. Um, that injustices against equality of race and gender have caused many to be hurt and have even turned people away from God. Okay, that's what I meant. As I put this out for you to consider, I'm not asking for your stance or your position on these matters. That is not what I'm doing. What I'm preaching to you is love. Loving your neighbor as yourself. Loving your neighbor as Christ would love them regardless, period. Sometimes that means we do need God's help to respond and reach as Jesus would, and that's okay. That's part of the sanctification journey, learning how to be with each other, love each other, listen to each other, and live freely in Christ. We're all on the same journey. Friends, we've been at a critical juncture for some time. The reality is that many are hurting and deceived. And our response to people who are struggling with feeling outcast and oppressed, it needs to start with listening to those who we are called to love. Not listening to be swayed or to sway one another, although that could happen, but listening to understand and learn and be part of a beloved community that speaks truth and kindness I realize that this may seem like I'm oversimplifying what is completely inconsistent in your mind with God's truth. But what's at stake is far greater than who is right and who is wrong. And this holds true especially with our communities, LGBTQIA, those who have been subject to racial discrimination, it's going to become more and more common to know someone who has sexual identity issues, who is the son, the daughter, the parent, the sibling, the niece, the nephew, the friend of a friend. What is at stake is our failing to convey God's love through his son Jesus and dishonoring the name and mission of our all-loving God because we fail to admit that we all have a long way to go in learning how to love Jesus' way. And then another beautiful soul turned away from knowing Jesus. I hope you'll take some time this week to reflect on the questions in your sermon notes. I know it feels somber, and everything in me wants to end on a high note with less bristle and prickle as you hear these words today, but if we only come to church to hear a message that makes us feel good about ourselves every Sunday, we run the risk of going backwards and becoming insular, exclusive people of flesh and not of faith. And God designed us all to be better than that. Amen? Are we? Amen? (laughs) Freedom to be in Christ means we can respond and widen the circle of God's love for people. We can love our neighbors as we love and value ourselves and the person God has created each of you to be. This is a lesson that Paul was desperately trying to teach his fellow brothers and sisters, to let go of being exclusive and draw closer for the sake of being inclusive. Wellspring has felt the tension due to the pandemic of receiving new life into our church. A good number of families that have attended in person when it became safe, to open up again, came. And a lot of other people that have been here for a long time, well, we just didn't recognize each other, right? There were new faces. And some of that was unsettling, right? We were a new, kind of a newly shaped community. Last weekend, we went to camp, our Wellspring camp. And it was a perfect opportunity to widen the circle and extend the reach. We had a great showing of old-timers, and new church, Ohana. And as we got closer, you could sense the freedom in Christ, the freedom to be in Christ. And as we go now into our time of communion led by Pastor Dan, I will pray. And then, yes, I do want to end on a, you know, kind of a a uplifting note. Um, We have an awesome video that Pat Pyre, media and technology director, put together for us on very short notice. So may these pictures and the memories that come with it of our time as community serve as a reminder that all are welcome to God's community in Christ, with Christ, and like Christ. Let's pray. God of grace and mercy, God who saves and heals God of forgiveness and love, may we continue to move forward with wisdom and discernment, seeking you always in who we want to be about. And that is you. We want to be about you. Remind us of our identity in you and that our belonging to you is forever. And as we wait in this in-between time, may we be brave to grow ourselves, to become more Christ-like in our minds, our behaviors, and our hearts. May we be open to being shaped by you and your love. May we remember that we were all outcasts at one time or another, and you came to rescue us. You sacrificed your one and only son to reconcile us to you, and all because you loved us and you wanted a world of good and kind, of mercy and grace. Lord, empower us to be courageous in our responses and reach, not to speak condemnation or judgment but to listen and understand with the heart of Jesus. Because of you, we are free to be who you made us to be in Christ. What a precious gift. May we protect the sacredness of your love and our relationship with you by the power of the blood. Amen. Lion, the lion of Judah is roaring with power and fighting our battles. Every knee will bow before him. Our God is the Lamb, the Lamb that was slain for the sin of the world. His blood breaks the chains. Every knee will bow If there's anything I can start off with, um it would be The power of forgiveness, the power of forgiveness. God was there when the sun came up in the darkness through the long night. Jacob names the place Peniel, face of God. For him, it's not even about a house anymore. It's about the face. I saw God, and and I'm alive. I'm more alive than I've ever been. Here in this moment, what do you need to hold on to? What do you need to let go of?